Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is March 31st, 2023. Boy, oh boy, what a week. I thank you for joining me. Uh, just when you thought the world could not get any wackier, here we go again. Brace yourself. As you probably know by now, President Donald Trump, former president, has been indicted. Um, the reports are that there were probably 30, 34 counts to the indictment. No one knows yet. And I'm not going to get too deep into the indictment itself. Uh, we don't know what the indictment has to say. And there are legal scholars and uh, trial attorneys who are far more well-versed in this particular area of law but I want to make a point that has to be made, and I know it's been made, and I will make it in my own way, but Lady Justice is supposed to wear a blindfold. Most of the injustices that happened in America, which gave birth to the civil rights movement, was because laws were not enforced with equality. People were prosecuted because they were, quote, the wrong color, the wrong religion, uh, and we've made huge strides to make certain that truly equal protection means equal protection. It's remarkable to me that the lunatic left wants to get rid of the word equality, replace it with equity. But the whole point to equality is that Americans and actually anybody who came to the bar of justice in America could expect to get equal treatment under the law. There would be no favoritism and there would be no special penalties imposed on somebody for all the wrong reasons. It took a long time for us to get there. And the Founding Fathers talked about this need to form a more perfect union. Well, certainly, this notion of equal protection under the law is a huge issue, really important. And what we saw happen with Donald Trump, uh, boy, oh, boy, blows my mind. Now, again, I, I haven't seen the indictment. Nobody, well, I won't say nobody has the people that worked on it, the grand jury and so forth, but it's under seal. We won't know until next week. But it certainly seems, if you listen to the attorneys, the law professors over at Fox, that this isn't equal treatment. It was really a reach, and, and Donald Trump is facing other criminal charges. But what disturbs me is that it would appear that his adversaries, and on both sides of the aisle, I have to add, sharpened the knives the day that he went down that escalator at Trump Tower and announced that he was going to run for the presidency. He upset the apple cart. And I'm not one of these guys who says, oh, yes, Trump is always right. There are people who say he's always wrong. They suffer Trump derangement syndrome. And I really think it's a real mental illness. But I'm also not one of those people who say he's always right. I'm very frustrated when he talks about how people have to be loyal to him and that if anybody were to work for the DeSantis campaign, for example, could not possibly get a job in his White House if he is reelected. I mean, we need to have some semblance of sanity 
certainly Trump didn't show loyalty to the people that helped him get the presidency when they were no longer, uh, it was no longer politically expedient, whether it was Jeff Sessions, who he had every right to fire him, but why destroy him? This is the first senator to um, endorse his presidency, and he was an amazing senator, one of the best senators in the entire U.S. Senate from the perspective of immigration law enforcement. Uh, you know, Jeff quoted me from the floor of the Senate on three separate days back around 2006, 2007, when they were debating comprehensive immigration reform, and I'd written an article for the Washington Times. And I said that if we're going to talk about comprehensive immigration reform, we need to start by giving it a true, honest, and descriptive name. And I recommended calling it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act, because we'd be giving millions of people who snuck into the country lawful status without the ability to interview them, let alone do a field investigation. It's nuts. It certainly doesn't serve the best interests of the average American. It certainly doesn't serve the interests of the United States. It, it served the interests of those people that turned immigration into a delivery system, and you can find them on both sides of the aisle. And Jeff Sessions liked my article so much, he quoted me from the floor of the United States Senate on three separate days, and unlike so many politicians, didn't plagiarize, but gave credit to me for having written it and then sent me a certificate commemorating it. I had dinner with him. I, I saw him in action, and time and time again, he took a position on immigration and border security that was at odds with the Republican Party. It took real um, morality, real chutzpah. Uh, I, I mean, really, the guy did something really heroic. I was with him in a panel discussion down in Palm Beach, West Palm Beach, Florida, with the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Uh, the Horowitz Freedom Center sponsors Front Page Magazine, and those who are familiar with me know that I've been writing for them since 2014. Like last week, and uh, I, last week I, I talked about my latest article about the nexus between immigration, the threat of terrorism, um, and, and how we are at an amped up risk in large measure because of the policies of the Biden administration. Uh, we're going to be talking about that article again today, but I want to get into the nitty gritty about specifically what the 9/11 Commission had to say that we should be adhering to, and we are not. Neither party wants them, but but you know I, to not interrupt myself with that side excursion it was jeff sessions who went out there and consistently pushed this notion that we need to secure the borders we need to enforce the immigration laws we need to make certain that the immigration service serves the purpose uh, for which it was written to protect america and americans to protect the average american family wow so when, when Donald Trump excoriated him repeatedly and he couldn't even win his old seat back in the Senate, it was painful. He did the same thing with Congressman Lou Barletta, who I would argue delivered Pennsylvania to Trump uh, during the 2016 election and put him over the top. And then because Lou wouldn't agree with him, apparently, about whether or not the election was stolen, not that there was necessarily integrity, but until you have concrete proof, you can't go running around making accusations. And, and all that apparently Lou did was to say, look, th there were lots of problems with the election, but I'm not sure it was stolen. Well, that was enough. He didn't go with the narrative. So not only did Trump not support his candidacy when he ran for the governor of Pennsylvania, when he ran for the Senate in Pennsylvania, he campaigned against him. And then he comes out and talks about loyalty. So I have my issues with Donald Trump. I wish he was better at articulating his ideas because what he wanted to do with immigration was right on the money. I agree with him completely. Not enough emphasis perhaps on interior enforcement, but he was the guy that got the money to build the wall over the objections of the Republican Party as well as the Democrat Party. 
good and bad. People are complicated. Nobody is, well, I can't say nobody. There are some people who are always wrong. But when we talk about Donald Trump, we have to recognize that he's a complex character. And he certainly scared the hell out of the establishment because he wasn't playing the game they wanted him to play because they are almost all globalists. We hear this garbage from some of these Republicans. We need a merit-based immigration system. And people say, wow, isn't that great? I was just on the phone this past week with one of my former colleagues. And he said, Mike, did you hear that statement? I said, yeah. And you know what that really is code for? Let's bring in lots of high-tech foreign workers. And my buddy said, wow, I... Didn't even think of that. That's really what they're calling for, isn't it? I said, yeah. And so and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in China. But, I, again, I, I, the main cause for me is what happened with Donald Trump this week with the indictment. And then the pronouncements from the lunatic left that nobody is above the law. Wow. Nobody is above the law and is uh, um, um, the attorney general for uh, for New York City from Manhattan is the guy that this guy Alvin Bragg is going to talk about. No one's above the law, perhaps. The guy that downgraded how many felony charges and turned them into misdemeanors and then got them dismissed, refused to prosecute serious violent crimes. So if no one's above the law, why did he decline prosecution of armed robbers and rapists and murderers and drug dealers? And and car thieves, and the list goes on, if no one's above the law. No one's above the law means that if we catch you, you're going to face consequences. And that's when when law really works. Because the whole point to law, as part of the point, is to deter people from committing crime. And it's particularly important when the crimes that we're talking about are crimes of violence, because people are losing their lives. People are getting grievously injured. So when you can stand there thumping the podium and say no one's above the law and point to Donald Trump, well, meanwhile, how many criminals are being turned loose across America? And, and, you know, I saw it coming because they did it with immigration. Immigration was the laboratory. Remember catch and release? Catch and release. That's what the police are now doing around the country in leftist-controlled cities and states. Catch and release. Yep. Okay, you're under arrest. Three hours later, they're back out on the street. They took their gun from them. So how hard is it to get another gun? Wow. It's like missing the bus. You wait 10 minutes, there's another bus, right? They, they take their guns, turn them loose on the street, as though the gun is the issue when it's really the criminal wielding the gun. Uh, I've carried a firearm legally since 1975 when I became an INS special agent. Thankfully, I've never had to fire my weapon. I came close in the line of duty when I was confronted by armed individuals, and I said a little prayer. Please, dear God, every morning I said the same damn prayer. Please, don't need, make it so that I won't need to use my firearm. Nobody wants to shoot somebody. So my gun did not of its own accord go out there and shoot people, right? My gun only has been fired at the pistol range when I did qualifications. Uh, only when I practice. Then my firearm certainly has been fired so that I know that I'm proficient. My agency, the INS, required that we qualify every 90 days. And there was a very grueling and comprehensive firearms training program, one of the best out there. So, fine, I, you know, I was out there at the range. I love target shooting. It's very enjoyable. But thankfully, I never had to shoot anybody. 
guns don't shoot people until someone pulls the trigger. And what they are now ignoring in these lunatic cities and lunatic states and lunatic jurisdictions is that firearms aren't the problem, but the person wielding the firearm is. And, and the comparison that I make, because the numbers, interestingly enough, are quite similar. I don't have the actual statistics in front of me, but I recall last week doing a little bit of digging around and found that according to John Hopkins, and certainly they're authoritative, I believe, um, and I think it was the year uh, 2020 or 2021, something like 45,000 people died in car accidents and 47,000 died because of firearm incidents. Very close. In New York, and I'm sure other jurisdictions, even if you have a lawful carry permit, which I now have since I'm no longer an agent, if you go out there and get drunk and a police officer finds you and you're staggering around and you got a gun on your hip, even if that gun is authorized by law for you to carry because you have the permit, the serial number matches, everything is great, but you're drunk, you're going to get arrested the same way you would if you were driving a car under the influence of alcohol or some other substance because alcohol and drugs impair your judgment, okay? How many times have you had to take a medicine, whether it's because you had surgery or you were sick or whatever, and in big letters on the, on the bottle that you got from the drugstore, it said, do not drive or use heavy equipment after taking this medicine, right? Because it's going to make you drowsy. It's going to slow down your reaction time. It's going to impair your judgment. Driving impaired. The same exact laws, the same principle applies to firearms. Same thing applies to boats. The same thing applies to airplanes. There have been a couple of instances where airline pilots showed up uh, to, to get on an airplane, and they were drunk and got arrested. You don't fly drunk, you don't drive drunk, and you don't carry a firearm drunk. So the parallels between firearms and automobiles, I think, is quite striking. And the number of fatalities, very close, very close. But when somebody gets behind the wheel of a motor vehicle, drunk, high on drugs, whatever, and slams into a school bus, runs over children in a crosswalk, injures the teacher, some crazy accident happens. There are fatalities, there's injured people, there's property damage, and the news, of course, loves blood, right? What's the old adage in journalism? If it bleeds, it leads. The reporters come running out there with their cameras and their microphones, and they look for an eyewitness. Did you see the crash? You know, wow. And the first thing that they report on is that the driver had doubled the alcohol in his blood or her blood. They were way over the line. They were legally drugged twice, three times, whatever. Why is it when we have this terrible tragedy, by the way, at the Christian school, has anyone talked about what the toxicology might have been with the shooter? No. They talk about mental illness, and they talk about gun control. When was the last time you heard, in the wake of a bad car accident, the need for car control? You ever heard that? I, I guess with self-driving cars, we may start to hear about car control, and that would, I guess, be appropriate, because the car screwed <laughs> up. Then you do need car control. But uh, if, it's a, if it's a regular old-fashioned car, and the motorist behind the wheel was drunk or driving reckless, or even if a terrorist uses the vehicle. Has anyone said we need car control? We need truck control? No. 
They talk about getting the nut from behind the wheel out of the car. We have sobriety interlocks so that if you're drunk, you can't get the car to start. You have to blow into a device that measures blood alcohol level. Why? To keep the person out from behind the wheel who might do something terrible with that motor vehicle. So the emphasis isn't on the car. The emphasis is on the driver. My question for all of you is why in the world don't we similarly put the emphasis not on the firearm but on the person wielding the firearm, right? But that would make too much common sense. Why don't we talk about the appropriate way to harden a school so that somebody can't simply stroll into a school with firearms, open fire, and kill children, kill teachers, whatever, We secure banks, we secure federal buildings, we do all sorts of things to protect certain sites. Don't you think that our schools with the most precious inhabitants, our students, our children, our next generation, don't you think that they are precious and valuable enough that the schools should be hardened against the potential for a lunatic coming in and and, and shooting a gun? or maybe dousing the school in gasoline. There's many ways you can kill somebody that don't require a firearm and bullets, by the way. The issue isn't the instrumentality that's used by the person who does the harm. It's the person himself or herself. Or in this crazy age, maybe itself. Is that the right term? I don't know. Itself. We don't hear that. Because the agenda is to disarm Americans to make us completely vulnerable to the state and to the criminals. That really seems to be the agenda. And you know I'm not really a conservative. I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. The problem is the Democrats are no longer Democrats. By the way, there's nothing liberal about the Democrats. Let's stop giving them credit to something they could never possibly be. I was raised to be a liberal by my parents who were themselves liberal, and I'm going to tell you I'm proud that I raised my four children to be liberals. And if you look up liberal, liberals celebrate the First Amendment. My parents taught me when I was very young that everyone's entitled to their opinion. Everyone has as much right to their opinion as you have to yours, was how they explained it to me. And just as you want to be heard, everyone else has the right to be heard, with the exception that you don't cry cry fire in a crowded theater, you know, the, the, the typical classic example of an abuse of the First Amendment. Other than that, everyone has the right to be heard. That is what the First Amendment is all about. And you're looking at the Democrats who support cancel culture. You look at what happened in California when a federal judge showed up and got shouted down. I believe it was at Stanford Law School, Stanford University Law School. These guys are going to be lawyers. These gals are going to be lawyers. And they couldn't bear to hear a different opinion by a federal judge. And the marshals had to escort him off campus to protect him? Seriously? And then you have uh, Governor Yunkin wanting to address a, a, a commencement and the kids protesting at the university? Protesting what? The governor has the right to be heard. And everyone says, oh, those liberals. What are you talking about liberals? They're fascists. They're totalitarian. They're authoritarian. Liberal? Not even close. And the problem is too many people who are old-time liberals hear this conversation. They say, well, if they're liberals, they must be my kindred spirit. Let's be as accurate with language as our opponents are 
And be, let, let's be crystal clear. There is nothing liberal about the new Democrat Party. There's nothing democratic about the Democrat Party either. These are important issues. Words matter. You know, at work, they used to call me the wordsmith back when I was an agent. My degree was in communications, arts, and sciences. I sometimes jokingly call it my BA and BS, but words do matter. That's why Jimmy Carter started this garbage that we can't call aliens aliens. We had to call them undocumented workers and then undocumented immigrants if they were here in violation of law. Really? Undocumented workers? Can't call an illegal alien an illegal alien. The term alien simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. Where's the insult? There is none. What was the problem with the word alien? It provided clarity to the debate. And con artists, thieves, and swindlers avoid clarity, uh, my goodness, the way cockroaches avoid bright lights. Right? This is about swindling Americans, conning Americans into believing something that's not true. And they're doing it through the manipulation of language. That's what they're doing. And now you're witnessing a whole spectrum of insanity being foisted on America and Americans and especially our children. That seven or eight or nine-year-old kids are encouraged to take sex change hormones or maybe have surgery and let's try to get the parents out of the loop. The problem that we have in society today with violence and everything else, lots of it stems from a breakdown of the family. That relationship between child and parent is the most critical relationship because it basically forms who that child will be when he or she grows up. That's the primary relationship. That's why when people ask me, you know, what are you proudest of? I've been on many radio shows, and they'll say, well, Mr. Cutler, what are you proudest of? And they're expecting me to talk about one of my investigations as a federal agent, and I wind up telling them I'm proudest of my four children and my grandchildren. Because to me, being a parent was and still is the most important job, the most rewarding job that I could ever possibly have. Part of what motivates me to do what I'm doing is the fact that I love my kids, I love my grandchildren, and I am petrified about their future with these lunatics running loose. They are destroying this country, and I don't mean to overstate it, because we're facing existential threats, and America's enemies are out there licking their chops. They look at Biden and the pronouncements he made, and by the way, one of the latest has me super infuriated. I worked very closely with the Israeli National Police for 25 years. Uh, during my very first year as an agent, I tripped over a terror plot in Israel. It was supposed to be a nothing investigation, some Israeli kid coming into the country with an altered visa. He was in his mid-20s. I think he was about a year younger than I was at the time. And it turned out, uh, as the investigation unfolded, as my interview with him uh, continued, that he was here on behalf of the PLO to get money to buy explosives to blow up an oil refinery in Israel. As a consequence, working with the Israelis, working with the FBI, we were able to prevent a terror attack in Israel. And whenever I needed anything from Israel, they were there, Johnny, on the spot. I have to tell you, I got better cooperation from the Israelis than I did from many American law enforcement agencies. If we were investigating an Israeli drug dealer, for example, when I was up at DEA intelligence, if I called the Israeli consulate and gave them an administrative subpoena just to back up my request, they would fly a diplomatic pouch to New York with a dossier on the criminal that we were investigating, one of their citizens. So many countries won't even take their criminals back 
Israel frequently provided an airplane ticket, and they flew their criminals back home to Israel on an LL jet at zero cost to the United States. Think about that. When we did a wiretap on Israeli mobsters who was trafficking in narcotics in New York, the Israelis sent us a half dozen detectives to sit with us on the wiretaps because otherwise our translators would not have understood the jargon used by the drug dealers in Israel. They use a specific jargon, and it, it would have gone over the heads of our translators. And the Israelis said, tell you what, we'll send you our detectives. And for months, their detectives worked with us hand in glove to bring down an Israeli drug trafficking operation here in, in New York. And now Joe Biden comes out and says, Benjamin Netanyahu will not be getting an invitation to the White House anytime soon because they're looking to revamp the judicial system in Israel. Whether you agree with the revamping or not, this is how you treat one of America's closest allies in a tinderbox, the Middle East? Are you serious? And he so screwed things up that the Saudis, who because of Trump were working with us against Iran, have now turned to work with Iran, perhaps against us. And let's not forget that it was the Saudis, it was the, the terrorists were from Saudi Arabia. So the idea of working with them to perhaps generate intelligence and prevent the next attack is super important. And what does Biden do? Alienates them. They don't want to talk to him. Biden doesn't want to talk to the Israelis, but he's very cozy with the Iranians. You think maybe the two things are connected? As Iran races to get nuclear materials to build bombs and missiles? The decisions coming out of this White House fly in the face of common sense fly in the face of reason, fly in the face of law, and fly in the face of the recommendations and findings of the 9-11 Commission. Look at how we left Afghanistan and what that has led to. I, I talked about it last week. We had the general in charge of Central Command out of the Middle East saying that ISIS will be in the position to carry out covert attacks within the next six months without warning, but he thinks only in Europe and, Europe, uh, Europe and Asia. I, I disagree. We have so many people here now from Afghanistan and elsewhere because of the open border and the policies with Afghanistan. Uh, I think America is at least as vulnerable as any other country on the planet. And if God forbid something happens, what is Joe Biden going to do? Blame it on the Parents Association? It takes my breath away. And then we come back to the statements by Pelosi and all these others. Nobody's above the law. Nobody's above the law. Okay. So... We're turning people loose who commit armed robberies. We're turning people loose who sell drugs. Oh, and by the way, Bragg said prostitution should not be a crime, so he won't accept prosecution of prostitutes. That is, I mean, I know he has prosecutorial discretion, but to make a blanket statement, we're not going to pursue charges against prostitutes. Again, if no one's above the law, what gives him unilateral authority to take it upon himself to say, no, nope, we're not going to pr prosecute prostitutes. No, nope, we're not going to do that. Oh, you had a gun, you committed a robbery, you didn't shoot anybody, did you? Okay, we'll make that a misdemeanor, we'll make it a simple assault, whatever. But keep remembering, folks, nobody's above the law. And now I, I'm compelled to, to, to use that concept of supposedly no one's above the law with immigration and sanctuary cities and the chaos, not only on the southern border, but the northern border. 
it is so remarkable that there was an article that was published in Forbes last week about how Biden is meeting with Trudeau to discuss what they deemed irregular immigration on the northern border. Irregular. No, it's illegal immigration. People going between the countries without going through ports of entry so they can be vetted. Entry without inspection is a crime. Is a crime. But no, the headline in Forbes magazine, irregular immigration. Now, I didn't realize it until I was on Bobby Gunther Walsh's show on WAEB last week. I've been doing Gunther's show, gosh, I don't know how many years. And he said, Mike, don't you know that Forbes is no longer owned by Steve Forbes, but that he sold it to China? So this is really consistent with China trying to force open borders on the United States. Irregular immigration is illegal immigration, okay? You don't call a guy that robs the bank making an irregular withdrawal. But we've got a problem on the northern border. All the politicians want you to focus on, if they're willing to talk about it, is the southern border. New Yorker says the border is under control. The chief of the border patrol says, no, it is not under control. And we're just talking about the southern border. Meanwhile, according to Customs and Border Protection, according to their own website, last year, even with COVID, on a typical day, uh, over 800,000 people entered the United States through various means, including, I believe it was 270,000 on a typical day, through international airports. Are we hearing anything about who's coming in through international airports? No. But the 9-11, found, 9/11 Commission found that most of the terrorists back then and in the decade leading up to 9-11, and we saw it in, in the years after 9-11, they entered the United States through international airports. That doesn't mean the southern border isn't a problem. And, you know, Fox News and others, Newsmax, and I've been doing quite a few interviews on Newsmax of late, talking about how many people on the terror watch list are being caught by the Border Patrol. Record numbers, but they're still very small numbers, 100 or whatever. But, again, you have to use small in context. Think of what 19 hijackers did on 9-11 to change the whole world, certainly America, but the rest of the world, 19 hijackers. But most terrorists are not on any terror watch list. And we don't know who the getaways are. These were people that were determined to escape detection and identification by our authorities. Why? I'm willing to bet a whole bunch of them are on terror watch lists, or at least are terrorists, even if they're not on a watch list. I would argue that at this point we have unknown thousands of terrorists in the United States. A veritable fifth column. Okay? Think about that. In fact, the way we left Afghanistan and admitted a whole bunch of people from Afghanistan, turned out we really didn't vet them. We're told they were vetted. But a couple of months ago, there was an article about how the FBI has requested, and I believe the number was around $13 million in emergency funding to help them to track down, identify, and locate the Afghanis that we let in. And we have no idea who they are, where they are, but they do know they are someplace uh, within our borders right now. And you have a general saying within six months, ISIS will be in the position to carry out attacks, boys and girls. And it's not just who's coming in from the Mexican border. You've got a Canadian border. We've got, 20, we've got 95,000 miles of coastline. We have international airports. And we have unauthorized, unauthorized landing strips for airplanes. We're inundated with no interior enforcement. That really, and I keep harping on it, but I will continue to, that is really the solution to much of the problem. It's not so much more Border Patrol agents as ICE agents. We only have 
6,000 ICE agents, and most of the work they're doing, in fact, with Biden, all the work they're doing has nothing to do with immigration. Okay? They're going after money launderers, intellectual property theft. They're going after kiddie porn. I, I find it remarkable that they go after kiddie porn because I don't know anything more pornographic than discussing sexuality with a seven-year-old child with the idea of trying to convince the child that perhaps that boy wants to be a girl or vice versa. I mean, I don't even know why. Here's something for you to bring up when you have discussions with your neighbors. Why do we still have a rating system for the movies if you have school teachers talking about explicit sex in the classroom, uh, about lesbians and cross-dressers and you name the, 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 the particular uh, whatever you want to call it, with children, with children, single-digit ages, seven, eight, nine-year-old kids. I mean, do we really need to have ratings in the movies? Do these classes get any worse than they are with children? And, they're, and they're, what they're trying to do is to keep parents out of the equation. Terrifying. This is about raising a country that, whose next generation will be so dysfunctional that our enemies will just walk in here and, and, and that will be that. That's really what I fear this is all about. Not looking to win necessarily against America next year, but it's certainly within the next generation. And, and, and I've been making an analogy um, that what has happened is that they're taking down societal reference points. They, the lunatic left. And I was listening to news reports earlier today at Fox about Mississippi and how the president had gone to Mississippi to try to offer comfort and, and, and whatever FEMA could do because they were devastated by tornadoes just a couple of weeks ago. And John Roberts at Fox made an interesting point. He said that he grew up in Florida, and after Hurricane Andrew flattened his hometown, when he went there, he was so disoriented that he wasn't sure where he was. And I've often compared that kind of situation, because he said all the landmarks that he relied on to get his bearings were gone. The storm blew everything away. There were no landmarks, so he had no bearings. What I see happening in America right now is all of our societal landmarks are being torn down by the radical left. The way they tore down the statues during the riots is how they're tearing down societal reference points to leave Americans dumbfounded as to where we are and what we have to do. A couple of years ago, the term disruptive made its way into the vernacular. This new company is disrupting the industry, and we're supposed to be happy. And I'm thinking, why in the world are they trying to make disruption a positive when we all know disruption is a negative? When electricity is disrupted, you have a blackout, right? When the, when the, the food chain is disrupted, you can't eat. When the airlines are suffering a disruption in the computer system, the airplanes are grounded, you're not going anywhere. If a child is disruptive in a classroom, the parents get a phone call that won't please them. And suddenly, we were being taught, conditioned, if you will, that disruption is a positive thing. Well, society itself is being disrupted by the lunatic left. At least that's my thought about all this. So we're being told that no one's above the law. We know that aliens by the millions have been allowed into the country. They shouldn't be here but they've been given a quasi-legal status by machinations of the Biden administration. And I'll tell you who else should be made to pay 
violations of law but aren't, and those are the mayors and governors of sanctuary jurisdictions. Let me read a section of law to you. This is Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1324, bringing in and harboring certain aliens. And this is the section known as criminal penalties. Any person who, one, knowing that a person, or it's actually I, I guess, I, knowing that a person is an alien, brings to or attempts to bring to the United States in any manner whatsoever such person at a place other than a designated port of entry, a place other than as designated by the commissioner, regardless of whether such alien, is the word alien, by the way, has received prior official authorization to come to enter or reside in the United States, and regardless of any future official action which may be taken with respect to such alien. Two I's, double I or two, knowing or in reckless disregard of the fact that an alien has come to enter or remains in the United States in violation of law, transports or moves or attempts to transport or move such an alien within the United States by means of transportation or otherwise in furtherance of such violation of law. Now catch number three. Knowing or in reckless disregard of the fact that an alien has come to, entered or remained in the United States in violations of law, conceals, harbors, or shields from detection or attempts to conceal, harbor, or shield from detection any such alien in any place, including any building or any means of transportation. Four, encourages or induces an alien to come to, enter, or reside in the United States, knowing that in reckless disregard of the fact that such coming to entry or residence is or will be in violation of law or engages in any conspiracy to commit any of the preceding acts or aids or abets the commission of any of the preceding acts, shall be punished as provided in subparagraph B. Okay? And it calls for a maximum of 10 years in jail. In the case of the violation of which the offense was done for the purpose of commercial advantage or private financial gain. 10 years in jail. Otherwise, it's five years in jail. Per alien. A sanctuary cities not engaging in such conspiracies and actions, harboring, shielding, transporting, sheltering, inducing, encouraging, aiding, abetting. Let me tell you, as a former agent, you could make a very easy case that sanctuary cities are all responsible for such actions. And there was an article about 10 years ago about Roosevelt Avenue in New York in Jackson Heights where a state senator boasted that there are houses of prostitution and they want to go after that and there's a problem with drugs and there's a problem with fake documents. But to make certain that the immigrants are not intimidated, the NYPD is doing absolutely nothing to cooperate with immigration authorities as it should be. Really. So the laws that are designed to protect us from criminals and terrorists and spies and aliens with dangerous diseases. Uh Uh-uh. We're we're not going to do anything to help enforce immigration laws that were written with that in mind. In fact, if you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, what does it do? It enumerates the categories of aliens who are to be excluded from the United States. And for all the lying and nonsense that spews out of Pelosi's mouth, the refrigerator queen, I will never forget her standing in front of her $28,000 or $27,000 freezer 
on the night of COVID when people didn't know if they could feed their children and she was showing off her designer ice cream. Oh, it's a wall of hate and look at how terrible this all is. It's all nonsense. It's all, she accused people of being racist for wanting to enforce the immigration laws. There isn't a single word distinguishing any alien by race, religion, or ethnicity, or nationality. It's about aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases, aliens who are mentally ill, aliens who are criminals and terrorists and spies and human rights violators and war criminals, alien smugglers, drug smugglers, aliens who would become a public charge or if they work would displace Americans and drive down wages of Americans who are similarly employed. Basically, the immigration laws are designed to protect public health, public safety, national security, and the jobs and wages of Americans. And there's Pelosi and her fellow travelers pounding the podium. This is about racism. This is about bigotry. And then you go to the 9-11 Commission report. And by the way, the Republicans wouldn't give Trump the money for the border wall either. Right? I, I keep talking about it, and, and, and it infuriates me. It enrages me. How in the world did the Republicans not want to help Trump, but supposedly they're, they're on our side? Yes, yeah, sure thing. You know, the big problem is both parties stink. Uh, I think I mentioned it last week, but I have to repeat it again. I'm compelled. In George Washington's farewell address, this was on Saturday, September the 17th, 1796. I don't know anybody who was there back then except maybe Pelosi. I'm not sure. Um, This is what George Washington said about political parties. However, political parties may now and then answer popular ends they are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. Isn't that what we're witnessing? You can't be a slave to two masters. The politician that wants to do what the constituents tell him or tell her to do runs into a party machine that says, if you do that, we will defund your campaign. To think about that. And where is the money coming from, from the campaign? For political action committees that pour billions of dollars into both political parties, frequently from the same sources, and I mentioned that I think last week, Bernie Sanders said that the Democrats lost it when they decided to take money from the same people that were giving money to the Republicans. So there's no difference. They're Republicans. And you combine that with the Supreme Court decision, Citizens United, that says that unlimited amounts of money can be pumped into political campaigns. All bets are off. You can't win, it's believed, without money. And the way that the politicians get money is by towing the line that they are given by their political party elites. And along came Donald Trump and said, I got my own money, go to hell. And they froze. And then he used the word that scared the hell out of people around the world, all these globalists, the word the sovereignty. Stood there in front of the United Nations and pumped, you know, um, banged on the podium and said, sovereignty. Every country is entitled to sovereignty. And their blood ran cold, and half of them ran to the bathroom. The water level in New York City dropped as they all flushed the toilets when he said sovereignty. So is there a reason they're coming after him? Sure. For the same reason they went after Matt Taibbi, the reporter, who talked about the weaponization of social media and and the weaponization of the Justice Department. Now, think of this irony. As he's testifying before Congress, 
the IRS sends agents to his house and they left a note, we'll be back after the weekend. Well, didn't they make the case? The IRS didn't just send him a letter. They actually had agents go to his house, knock on the door, and leave a note from what I've read. I ran into problems because I testified before Congress six weeks after 9-11 because I was asked by the Immigration Reform Caucus, can you come to Washington and explain in your judgment with your 30 years of experience, having arrested and investigated terrorists and criminals and drug dealers, can you tell us what we need to do? The following morning, I got a package by overnight super-duper express courier that was dated something like 45 minutes after the hearing ended. Interesting. I, I was home with an injured leg. I got banged up executing warrants with the FBI and the New York City Police Department. I had injured my knee previously, and my knee blew out while I was racing up five flights of stairs with a battering ram. Uh, I was on the entry team. It's something I'm very proud of. I was past my 50th birthday and, and, and still doing entries. You know, usually when you're that age, you're, you're the guy in the back of the, of, the, of the building watching the doors that nobody jumps out the door or jumps out a window. I was actually going through the front door with the members of the NYPD, and my knee blew out. So I was home. I was getting ready to perhaps have surgery, get things taken care of, and I got a package the day after the hearing. Since you have a bad knee, you're no longer an agent. Really? Yes. You pay a price for telling the truth, right? They, they free you up to look for another job, right? You have freedom of speech, free to look for another job. Uh, and, and, and the fights I had with my agency because I tried to push back against some of the insanity. Uh, if I told you the stories, you wouldn't believe it. But you saw what happened to Trump, General Flynn, uh, I faced very similar stuff, and it went on for quite some time because, boy, oh, boy, Cutler stood up to them. Imagine that. Who, who did I think I was? And, and, and this is the problem that we have in government, selective enforcement of the law, which means there is no equal protection, which means we're all vulnerable. So they go out and they hire, what, 87,000 IRS agents? You think they're looking for money? Or perhaps they're looking for leverage they can use against the American citizens to keep us quiet. Open your mouth and we'll chop you down. I remember I was on with Neil Cavuto years ago, and he said, Mike, when will you be happy that the immigration laws are being enforced adequately? And I thought about it, and they said, you know, Neil, when the day comes that an alien in the United States gets correspondence from DHS and reacts with the same level of concern that you or I would have if we got correspondence from the IRS, I said, then I will say that we are there. We are where we need to be. And he loved it. And I think I'm right. So we've got 6,000 ICE agents mostly doing anything but immigration work because of the way that George W. Bush, the globalist, put DHS together in violation of the Homeland Security Act. John Hostetler made a statement. He was the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, called me for many hearings. And I remember this one hearing where he said that the way that DHS was put together violated the Homeland Security Act. Ignored the fact that it was immigration violations of law that were behind the attacks of 9-11 and other such attacks. It said that the way things were created, what the Bush administration did was to give us immigration incoherence, making it impossible to secure the borders, enforce our immigration laws, and therefore impossible to protect the American people. Thank you, George W. So it's both sides of the aisle that have done this. We all know the significance of immigration. And all we're hearing from the Republicans is, number one, we need a merit-based immigration system. Well, that's kind of interesting because China right now, and you're going to love this one. Uh, let me pull this up. This was the headline I just saw last night before I went to sleep. This was Yahoo News Reuters article. 
China tackles chip talent shortage, guess how they're doing it? In America, people like Ted Cruz have always said, we need to bring in the world's best and brightest, right? We got into a big to-do, he and I, when I said, I'm from Brooklyn, and where I come from, we have a term for the world's best and brightest. <laughs> Still, he might color. I thought they were American. Huh, what do I know? And he went off the rails. So China's not bringing anybody in. This is the headline. This was March 28th, Tuesday, this past week. China tackles chip talent shortage with new courses and higher pay. They want to develop their own talent from among their own citizens. If our crooked politicians, to give the redundancy in that term, want to emulate China because they want to turn us into a totalitarian country as much the way China is, uh, which, of course, is an anathema to what America was built on, freedom, freedom, pursuit of happiness and freedom, why don't they try to emulate this idea by providing new courses and higher pay for Americans who we desperately need to take the high-tech jobs? Instead of teaching our kids in college how to hate America and redefine what, what male, female, and God knows what else is, maybe we should actually be teaching engineering. We're turning out social influencers, and China's turning, turning out record numbers of engineers. So if, if these lame brains want to emulate China, that's what they should be emulating. And in fact, here's how the article starts. Shanghai Reuters, China's ramping up efforts to develop homegrown semiconductor talent as it seeks to rapidly fill a shortage of expertise that has been made worse by U.S. efforts to limit Beijing's access to advanced chip technology, and the article goes on. Why aren't we doing that here in the United States? Wouldn't that make sense? Instead of listening to some of these nitwits talking about merit-based immigration, which is really code for flooding America with more foreign workers, so that, as Alan Greenspan said back in 2009, we could greatly reduce wage inequality in America by making high-tech Americans, whom he referred to as the privileged elite, make these high-tech workers compete with foreign workers, and then you would greatly reduce inequality in wages between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. Wow. Blows my mind. Now, I want to quickly make the point about the 9-11 Commission. First of all, they talked about border security, but we all know that. In point of fact, the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel, I know I read this frequently, but I'm just going to quickly reread it. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Who the hell are we firing? Chimpanzees? I mean, really, to not figure out that if you want to protect your country, you've got to keep your enemies out? Wow, that's, that's amazing that, that you, um, you can't figure that out, right? And they run these agencies. You wonder why we're in trouble? But it said, yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa. Now, here they're talking about visas, not necessarily a border, right? Except maybe a border in terms of a port of entry and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe for reasons we discussed in the following pages, it must be made one. 
and then they go on and, and, and talk about uh, fake passports and how the Saudis came to the United States. Um, and, for example, they talk about here, in addition, Rams, the use of the mastermind of the attack, this is the 93 bombing of the Trade Center, February 93, and Ahmed Ajaj, who was able to direct aspects of the attack despite being in prison for using an altered passport. Who's talking about altered passports right now among the Republicans, even as they look at this catastrophe with immigration and the threat of terrorism increasing exponentially? All we're hearing about is the southern border, okay? Despite being in prison for using an altered passport, traveled under aliases, under fraudulent documents, the two of them were found to possess five passports, as well as numerous documents supporting their aliases, a Saudi passport showing a sign of alteration, an Iraqi passport bought, bought from a Pakistani official, a photo-substituted Swedish passport, a photo-substituted British passport, a Jordanian passport, identification cards, bank records, education records, and medical records. And then they said once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. For example, Yusuf and Ajaj concocted bogus political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. Most of the millions of aliens who flooded into America came in under the guise of filing for political asylum. And in New York and elsewhere, they are being referred to whimsically as asylum applicants. And as I pointed out in one of my recent articles, calling them an asylum applicant is nuts. There's no way they're going to qualify. That's like saying that a homeless person who purchases a lottery ticket can now be referred to as an aspiring millionaire, okay? Asylum means that because of your race, religion, ethnicity, um, sexual orientation, or political beliefs, you face persecution or worse in your home country. Most of the people coming here right now are economic refugees, but there is no such thing as an economic refugee. When they're interviewed, I want a job, I'm living in poverty, my family is poor, my children are hungry. That's not how you get political asylum. They will not qualify. Over 90% of the applications will be denied. But the problem is, because there are so many millions of them here now, the courts are jammed up, and it will take a decade or more to clear the docket if tomorrow morning immigration stopped completely. Of course, it's not stopping. It's accelerating. Now, I want you to understand this. So they, they say that Yusuf and Ajaj concocted bogus political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. Mahmoud Abu Alima, involved in the both the World Trade Center and landmark plots, received temporary residence under the seasonal agriculture worker program after falsely claiming that he picked beans in Florida. Mohammed Salome, who rented the truck used in the bombing, overstayed his tourist visa. He was an illegal alien. We're giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens now, folks. They never did before because after this, the 9-11 Commission with the Real ID Act said you can't do that. They said, okay, a couple of years ago, starting with Cuomo in New York and some other nitwits in California and I believe in Illinois, said, no, we're going to give licenses out. Why not? In fact, they testified before a New York State hearing about that. And we were told by the Motor Vehicle Commission commissioner that driving is not a privilege but a necessity. I was raised to believe it was a privilege. No, it's now a necessity. How else can they go to work? They're not supposed to be working. The immigration laws are supposed to protect those jobs for aliens and U.S. citizens when the alien has the authority to legally work in the United States. So jobs are being stolen, and 
states are giving driver's licenses to people, and we have no clue who we're giving the licenses to, even after they said that Mohammed Salome, who rented the truck using the bombing overstate his tourist visa, he then applied for permanent residency under the Agriculture Worker Program, but was rejected. Iyad Mahmoud Ishmael, who drove the van containing the bomb, took English language classes at Wichita State University in Kansas on a student visa, and after he dropped out, he remained in the United States out of status. So guess what? The driver was also an illegal alien. Okay? And then it goes on and says, although there's evidence that some land and sea border entries of terrorists without inspection occurred, these conspirators mainly subverted the legal entry system by entering at airports. And I told you that nearly 900,000 people enter the United States each and every day. Who's talking about the way we're vetting them? And then we're being told that the Biden administration is processing these aliens and then releasing them. Why is nobody in the Republican side challenging what the vetting process looks like, what the process is? How carefully are they checking to make sure they know who the hell they're turning loose on America? No one's talking about that. Just keep watching the southern border, okay? And then it goes on and says, and in so doing... They relied on a wide variety of fraudulent documents, aliases, and government corruption because terrorist operations had suicide missions in the early to mid-1990s. Once in the U.S., the terrorists and their supporters tried to get legal immigration status that would permit them to remain here primarily by committing serial and repeated immigration frauds by claiming political asylum. There we go again, and by marrying Americans. Many of these tactics remained largely unchanged and undetected throughout the 1990s up to the, 19, uh, up to the 9-11 attack. And you have the Democrats and some Republicans saying, let's legalize all these aliens. No way to interview them, no way to do any field investigation, and we'll probably have to spend no more than 15 minutes per application. And what did the 9-11 Commission say? They all sought to get lawful status in the United States. Most terrorists tried to get U.S. passports, so they would have two passports and travel around the world concealing their movements through two passports, one of them a U.S. passport. And then it goes on and says, thus abuse of the immigration system and a lack of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activity. Okay? This lack of attention meant that critical opportunities to disrupt terrorist travel and therefore deadly terrorist operations were missed. Think about that. Think about that. And, and, And then we are told that what they wanted, the terrorists, was to just be able to get into the country and remain here quietly so they could go about their deadly preparations. In fact, here's how they state it. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans had to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, or applying for asylum. There we go again after entering. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Terrorists, terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. And now, folks, they're here for years because that is how long it is going to take before their court dates pop up, if ever. So we've basically let in millions of people who are free to wander around the United States. We have no clue as to who they are, and we're being warned that terrorist attacks could be as close as six months away. Where are the Republicans on all this, bought and paid for by the globalists? God help us. I thank you for listening. I hope this serves as a wake-up call. 
uh, as the holidays approach, Easter, Passover, I hope you have wonderful holidays. Have these discussions with your neighbors, folks. Please remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. The facts are on our side. Please send a copy of the link to the podcast to my audience. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe. See you next week.